the high priest, Hilkiah, said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. When Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, he read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, The priest Hilkiah has given me a book. Shaphan then read it aloud to the king. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. 2 Kings 22, 8-11 So, let me see if I've got this straight. Somebody found a book that was just lying around in the house of the Lord, the great temple in Jerusalem, and this book was a book of the law, that is to say that it was part of the Bible, and specifically part of the first five books of the Bible, and yet nobody had ever seen this book before, and they had to change almost everything about their religion because of what it said. This story just seems to create so many more questions than it offers answers. Who put the book there? And how long had it been hiding? Who wrote it? And who hid it? And why? What did it say? And the questions go on and on. I just want to know. What is the story here? This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 2.6 Looky What I Found The king was dead. Hilkiah, the high priest of Yahweh, smiled in his small room. It was about time. King Ammon had ruled for less than two years, and as far as Hilkiah was concerned, they had been disastrous years. And Ammon's greatest sin was that he had been just like his father, King Manasseh. May his name be cursed forever, Hilkiah thought as he spat on the ground. Manasseh had been a good ruler and competent administrator as far as the people had been concerned, but his fault had been his lack of devotion to the national god, Yahweh. He had been accommodating to a great variety of religious beliefs, and had even gone so far as to allow the erection of idols to other gods in the temple of Yahweh at Jerusalem. Hilkiah had seethed at the disrespect shown to him and to his god for years, but he had seethed in silence because he could do nothing against the popular king. When Manasseh had finally died, he saw his opportunity. The son, Ammon, maintained most of his father's policies, including his tolerant religious stance, and remained popular with the people, but he had one weakness. He loved to mistreat and even publicly humiliate his servants and ministers, who quickly grew to hate him. 
an emotion that the high priest only stoked and encouraged. It had taken him two years, but he had finally engineered a palace coup, while managing to keep his own hands conspicuously clean. When Ammon was assassinated, the populace was scandalized. All of the conspirators were quickly rounded up and murdered in a remarkably brutal episode of mob justice. It was regrettable, to be sure, to see these people who had brought all of his schemes to fruition cut down so violently and so cruelly. But Hilkiah knew that it was all in a good cause. Surely Yahweh would approve of what he had done for the sake of his God. Of course, the people insisted on installing Josiah, the son of Ammon, in his father's place. But Hilkiah had absolutely no problem with that. The boy was only eight years old, as close to a blank slate as the priest could hope for. He would have years to mold and shape the boy. He would become one of the new king's chief counselors, and then, when the time was right, he would put phase two of his plan into motion. Operation Looky What I Found. But a few pieces had yet to be put into place before that could come. Hilkiah rose and set off to a part of the temple complex that was run down and dilapidated. There, in the back, was a room where he knew that his secret team would already be at work on the secret project. He gave the secret knock. And a few moments later, the door creaked open. Inside were five men. The gifted young secretary, Shafan, sat at the front and was listening as one of the older men, an exile from the now-destroyed kingdom of Israel, told a story from the traditions of his people. The secretary listened with bright eyes, taking everything in. In the corner sat scrolls of parchment, ink, and quills. Soon Shafan and his assistants would start the work of writing, and those scrolls would begin to be filled with the words that would change everything. King Josiah was 26 years old. He had reigned in Jerusalem for 18 years, and they had been good years. But he was starting to get restless. When you're only eight years old, and you come to absolute power because your father was murdered by the people he trusted most, it is a jarring experience, to say the least. But the worst part was that he had to rely on others for everything, and they had treated him like a child. And yeah, sure, he kind of was a child at first, but he had grown up, damn it. And he was convinced that many of his counselors still saw an eight-year-old boy whenever they looked at him. That needed to change. There were two people that he felt truly respected him. One was his secretary, Shafan, 
a brilliant man, who had nevertheless always talked to him like an adult, even in the early years. He found himself depending on Chafan more and more, and he especially loved that their relationship irritated his older counselors to no end. His other friend had always been the old priest of Yahweh, Hilkiah, an amusing man who always had great stories to tell. One day, when Josiah was sitting around and stewing over the fact that no one ever seemed to expect much of him and wondering how he could leave a mark on his kingdom that would outlive him, the old priest dropped by for a visit. A shekel for your thoughts, your majesty, said Hilkiah. What could you possibly be thinking about that would make you scowl so? Oh, nothing, replied the king. I was just trying to think of something that I could do that would make people notice that I'm not a child anymore. You're constantly telling me that people should respect me and that I can do great things, but you're the only one who seems to think so. Don't worry, O king, you are wise, and I'm sure you'll come up with something. Hilkiah paused and looked at the king for a few moments before appearing to make a decision. Anyways, he said, I can't be of much help to you today. We've had another disaster at the temple. There's a new leak in the roof. The doorposts are almost completely rotted away. If we don't get it fixed, my colleagues and I are worried that the whole place may collapse before the end of the year. I've got a million things to do, but I shouldn't bother you with my problems. You know, said the king, maybe it is time for you fellows to do some major renovations on that old temple of yours. You can't just keep patching the place up and hoping that it will do the trick. Your majesty is very wise, said the priest, but it's just not in our budget. You've been collecting tithes and offerings from all of the people who come there to worship for generations. Surely there is enough to do the work. You would think so, sire, but the keepers of the threshold, the people who control the treasury, will not loosen the purse strings even a little bit. If only someone had the wisdom and the foresight to light a fire underneath them, to make them finally do something. But I bore you, my king. These are my problems, and I will deal with them with my own limited abilities. You have much more important concerns, I am sure. A little while later, as the priest left the royal presence, he overheard the king calling for his secretary, Shafan, and tell him to write a letter to the priest and to the keepers of the threshold. He smiled. The second part of the plan was falling into place so easily. Phase three of the plan had been set in motion a few months later. The renovation works were underway with a general spring cleaning 
All of the storehouses and alcoves of the temple complex had been completely emptied out of hundreds of years of gifts, votive offerings, records, and, well, a lot of it was really just junk. The king regularly sent his secretary over to give him reports and updates on the work, and it was during one of these visits that Hilkiah approached Shaphan. He was carrying a set of scrolls. Shaphan knew them well. In fact, they had his fingerprints all over them. Literally. It's hard not to get a little bit of ink on your fingertips when you are writing, after all. But they had to go through the motions that had been planned for the sake of the officials and the workers who were standing around. Secretary Shafan, said the priest, I have found something, a book. It was hidden in a back corner. It is probably nothing, but maybe you should show it to the king. That was it. If anything, Hilkiah had undersold the book, but both he and Shafan knew that they had just lit a fuse underneath the throne. King Josiah was beside himself. His clothes were torn, and he had cast some of the black ashes from the fire pit, which had fortunately gone out hours ago, on his head. This is a disaster. It is an utter disaster, he kept saying. It's saying that we've been doing everything wrong. It's hopeless. Chapin, sitting cross-legged on the floor with the scroll splayed out across his knees, was starting to worry that he had done his work too well. If the king thought that the situation was too hopeless, he might just give in to despair and not even attempt to put in place the reforms that were so badly needed. He had to find some way to show the king that there was a path forward. They needed to move him forward one step at a time so that he would not become overwhelmed with everything that needed to be done. "'You are wise, sire,' began the secretary. "'Surely you will guide your people well. They love you, and will do whatever you say. We only need to convince the people that they must listen to what this book says.' "'Listen?' But these are the words of Moses himself, aren't they? Of course people will listen. Ah, your majesty, but some are not so wise and faithful as you. They might say that Moses lived so many generations ago. They might ask how his words could have been written down and hidden for so many years, in a building that did not even exist within the nation that this very book says that he never entered without anyone even knowing about it. Chaffin knew very well that this was the greatest weakness in their plot. He probably shouldn't be saying any of this aloud, but it was like he couldn't help himself. As it turned out, Chaffin needn't have worried. If anyone says such things, they must be arrested, cried the king. I won't stand for it. 
Very good, my lord, said the secretary. But perhaps we should seek some independent verification. If someone who everyone trusts were to declare that this book was the word of Yahweh, well, that would silence any doubters. The king thought about it. Yes, yes, I suppose that would take a profit. Not people I normally like to deal with. They're so critical sometimes. But everyone knows that they speak the word of Yahweh. All right, Shafan. Send the book to Hulda. Let's find out what she thinks about it. As Hilkiah and Shaphan made their way to the home of the prophetess, Hulda, they knew that everything hung on what would happen in the next little while. Prophets of Yahweh, people like Hulda, only had authority because everyone knew that they could not be corrupted. You could not buy them, you could not blackmail them. They only spoke what they believed to be the truth that they had received directly from their God. For this reason, though they had talked about buying her off or bringing her into the conspiracy, they had not done so. Her reaction to the book and its contents would have to be pure and uncoached. There was a chance she would expose them all as fabricators. Nevertheless, they had all felt that it was necessary that they needed her blessing if they were going to succeed in their campaign to change the religion of Judah forever. Hulda's silence was driving Hilkiah crazy. Shaphan had read the entire book to her in one sitting as he had done for the king. She had not shown a single reaction throughout the whole time, had sat there stone-faced. The suspense was killing him. Was this woman going to say anything at all? What was she waiting for? He had to know. Was his life's work going to prosper on this day? Or was it all about to come crashing down around him? Would he himself end the day on the gallows? He had to know. Well, <clears throat> he cleared his throat. What do you say? What is this book? Hulda took a deep breath before she turned her eyes towards him. They shone in the gloom of the late day, as if they were wet with tears. She heaved a great sigh. It is the word of Yahweh. I know that it is. The voice that she spoke with was different. Not like it was when they had first come to her. They knew by this that she had entered into the altered state often employed by the prophets. All of the curses that are told in this book, she continued, they will all fall upon the land. 
for we have not lived according to the covenant that God has made with his people. We are doomed, doomed. Both men, in spite of themselves, felt a deep fear growing within them. They knew very well who had written this book, but this woman was so convincing, for she spoke with such confidence that they began to doubt themselves. It was a long conversation, but they were able to extract a few concessions from Hulda before they left. They could reassure the king that he himself would not suffer from the curses outlined in the book. They were pretty sure that that would be enough to convince the king that there was a point to moving forward with the reforms that they had long planned to carry out. Reforms that would reshape the religious landscape of the entire country. Every other sanctuary in the nation would be shut down. All of the minor priests and local Levites would be out of a job. This would be devastating to such important centers as the ancient temple at Bethel and the cultic site at Shechem. But it would be worth it. Everything would be centralized at Jerusalem. It was a project such as no nation on the face of the earth had ever taken. The temple at Jerusalem would become the wealthiest and most powerful temple ever conceived, and the priest of Yahweh, Hilkiah, and his descendants. They would be the greatest men in all the lands. Hilkiah's every dream was finally coming true. He walked along in a haze of fantastical imaginings. His companion and co-conspirator, for his part, was in a foul mood. The smiling face of Hilkiah irritated him no end, and he finally had to speak. You fool, he growled. You feel so smug, don't you? You think that your plan has succeeded. You are so full of your own fantasies that you cannot see what has happened here. Hilkiah was so startled that he stopped dead and stared at Shaphan. What do you mean, he said. We didn't write the book, was the response. Oh, we may have scratched it out on the parchments, but the words were not ours. The exiles from the nation of Israel, they brought us the true word of Yahweh, and we, like fools, used this precious gift to serve our own selfish purposes. The king may well be spared the curses of Yahweh, but the prophetess said nothing about you or me. I have no doubt that we will pay the price for what we have done. I know that you are dreaming of your priestly family ruling over a rich temple. I promise you, that will never happen. So, the Bible tells us of a book that was discovered in the temple at Jerusalem during the reign of King Josiah. It was a book of the law, 
but nobody really seems to have asked where the book came from or how it got there. A prophetess named Huldah told them that it was the word of Yahweh, and by God they believed that it was. Josiah instigated a reform based on this book, and the reform that he carried out makes it a pretty easy guess what the book was. Josiah basically did just about everything that the book of Deuteronomy says that a good king of Israel is supposed to do, especially his policy of closing down all of the other high places in the land and consolidating all worship and religious activity at the Jerusalem temple. The book that had been found was the book that we know today as the book of Deuteronomy, or at least a major part of it. So how did it get there? It seems highly unlikely, I would actually say well-nigh impossible, to imagine that the book was written down in the time of Moses and then lost or completely forgotten for hundreds of years and yet somehow found its way into some hidden corner of a building that was also not built until many generations after the time of Moses, if Moses ever did exist, but that is a whole other discussion. But if we're not going to accept that it was some document miraculously preserved and yet hidden for hundreds of years, what is a more reasonable explanation of how it got there? The more likely answer is that somebody wrote it up and put it there within at least a generation of when it was found. Now, it is quite possible that someone wrote it down and hid it for the most noble of reasons. Perhaps there were oral traditions that the writer was afraid would be lost. The northern kingdom of Israel had recently been occupied and destroyed by the Assyrian Empire. Perhaps the writer collected the oral traditions and teachings and practices from refugees who had fled that other kingdom and wrote them down so that they would not be lost. The book was hidden for safekeeping, and what they wrote was only found by chance, or by divine intention, during Josiah's reign. Maybe. But honestly, I tend to be a bit of a cynic, and I have to ask the question, was there anyone who was particularly going to profit by the discovery of this book? Oh, yes, indeed. Anyone associated with the temple in Jerusalem would have seen a big benefit from all worship being centralized there. Make no mistake, there is money to be made by holding a religious monopoly, and that is what the book of Deuteronomy grants to Jerusalem. And no one would have profited more than the priest of that temple, a man named Hilkiah, the man who found the book in the first place. So, did Hilkiah plant the book? Did he engineer the whole situation and even plan the palace coup that ended with the assassination of King Josiah's very popular father? I don't know. And maybe my story has been unfair to a noble man, but maybe not. In any case, I do think it makes for a great story, and I wanted to tell it. 
However it happened that the book was hidden and surfaced at just the right time, that doesn't change for me how I see the book of Deuteronomy. It is an extraordinary book that changed history and was a revolution in the understanding of the relationship between humanity and God. Whoever wrote it, and under whatever circumstances, I don't really have a problem seeing that the book itself was inspired by and gifted from God. Maybe even despite the intentions of the one who wrote it. If you enjoyed this story, please come back again next week for another take on an ancient biblical story. Tell other people and rate and review this episode on iTunes or some other platform to help other people find it. The theme music for retelling the Bible is Ah Da, and the mood music for this episode is Anomaly. The music is by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under the Creative Commons, and can be found at incompetech.com. Send your requests, comments, and questions to at Retelling Bible on Twitter, or to our Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes and commentary for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. See you next week as we continue in the Old Testament with another great story. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.